Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. It's going to take us uh, a little while to get to where we're going today, but hang with me, just stick with me, and eventually we'll, we'll turn the corner. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first. The Jewish New Year uh, took place the middle of September, the middle of October. But their ecclesiastical year, which was their religious year, and when they started their religious holidays, that began uh, mid-March and uh, around mid-April. And it kind of moved uh, because uh, it kind of depended where the moon was and the, and the sun and all, all that other stuff. So, you know, their years was uh, similar to our years in that uh, you could think about, you know, our, our new year begins January 1st, but our school year begins typically sometime in August or sometime in September. And really for the church, uh, often it feels like the new year begins when the kids go back to school and we kind of shift for, for a new season. But, you know, technically it, it begins in January. So they had these uh, two different years, and the Bible's very exact. And, you know, one way you, you know people aren't lying is by how many details they give. The more details people give, the, the more uh, likely it is to tell the truth. Because if you're lying, you try to say as few things as possible so you don't get caught. So the writers here, you know, they go into great detail because they were only telling the truth. And uh, we see that in the names of people, the names of places, and particularly with, with how they use dates. It says that he went through the grain fields. The Holy Land was an agricultural society. Wheat and barley fields were abundant. And it says that his disciples plucked the heads of grain. Now, to us in our culture, that might look like stealing, but uh, it was absolutely nothing wrong with what they did. Actually, the law of Moses uh, allowed for this. Let's, let's look at that. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 25. Moses says, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your what? Hand. God did not want anyone in his kingdom, anyone in the nation of Israel to go hungry, but he required that people maintain their dignity by getting what they needed with their own hands. That's important. Most people don't want to hand out. They just want to hand up. Then Moses goes on, but you shall not use a sickle. A sickle was a blade used to mow. It was a, a blade that you would use to, to, to fill sacks. You shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Now we see here that God wanted his people to be charitable, but he also ensured that no one abused the system by taking more than what was fair. You could take a, a handful, but you weren't to take a sack. You could use, but you weren't to what? Abuse. You could take an inch, but you shouldn't take a what? Yard. Okay. Luke 6, 1. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them. We see here that fulfilling a spiritual calling did not negate practical needs. Ministry will not only stretch you spiritually, but can also stretch you naturally, and uh, it can actually drain you. Uh, ministry can be very, very demanding, so you got to keep yourself 
uh, fed. And it says rubbing them in their hands. So they plucked it and they rubbed it. And the Pharisees looked at this, probably even blew on it to get rid of the, the, the chaff there. And they considered it work. A little bit like, we don't do this in our culture, but maybe a little bit like uh, crunching peanuts. You got to uh, take the shell off before you eat it. And this is what they did. And the Pharisees watching called what they did work. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, Jesus obeyed the Mosaic law. This conflict was really not over the law if you know the law. It was really about 39 additional categories of regulation that the Pharisees and, and the rabbis had added to Scripture. You see, if Jesus would have gone along with this, if he would have been comfortable with people adding and subtracting from Scripture, he probably could have avoided the crucifixion. He probably would have fit in better. He could have made a whole lot of friends. But sometimes fitting in just costs too much. And this was the attitude of Jesus. Actually, in, in Revelations 22 and verse 18, I want you to hear the final paragraph that Jesus gives in the entire uh, Bible. He says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone what adds, if anyone what adds to these things, truth is stiff. It cannot be bent, only broken. You got to understand that. The goal of any honest Bible teacher, preacher, if you will, is to shed light on what is said, but never to add to it. Very, very important. Listen to the seriousness of this warning. He said, now, if you add to this book, God will add to you. But watch what God adds. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this what? Book. How many of y'all just a little bit scared of God? I know I still am. I'm too afraid of God to start messing with the scriptures to sue folk. I, 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 you know what? Eternity is just too long for me to have to deal with consequences for trying to fit in with the crowd. And here's the deal. When you try to fit in with the crowd, you tend to get lost in the crowd. And this was not what Jesus would do. He said, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this what? Book. He intended this Bible to be a what? Book. Now, you might think I'm weird because I stick with the book. But I think you're weird because you're like everybody else. You were born an original. Don't die a copy. Thank you, Miriam. <laughs> Jesus was born the original. He refused to die. A copy. Luke 6 and 3. It continues. But Jesus answering them said, how many of you know it's never a good idea to try to lecture Jesus over what the Bible says? If the plain sense of Scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. You end up with a bunch of nonsense. How many of you hear a bunch of nonsense every now and again? Jesus is speaking. He said, and actually the sarcasm in his response is, is, is almost palpable. He said, have you not even read this? Now, he knew that the Pharisees had not only read the Scriptures, they had memorized much of the Scriptures. But here's the problem. They read the book to only confirm their conclusions. Versus reading the book to find out what was true. Yeah. 
And many people approach this book this way, that they're trying to just get their thing, that they're trying to make their point. They're not really reading it to find truth. They're trying to get support for their foregoing conclusions. And this was the era of Pharisees. And this also I find many times the era of church folk. I want the book to read me. I want to, to, God, what are you saying? I don't care what people say. I don't care what people say about me when I say what you say. Lord, what does the book say? What did Jesus mean when he said it? And when you make that plain to me, I'll tell it. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, haven't you even read, even now, you, you see the sarcasm there, this. You see, Jesus came to his opinions on the Sabbath his opinions on everything he taught about, not based on some strange, you know, stretched esoteric uh, text somewhere, but he actually came to, to this understanding through well-known passages, passages that everyone listening should have been well aware of and actually should have applied in their own mind before they accused Jesus. He said, have you not even read this, what David did? Now, what Jesus is doing is saying, listen, now, if you want to find fault with me, you're going to have to find fault with David. And the David you say you celebrate and, and that, you know, he's one of the greatest kings. Now, I am the king of kings, and, and actually I am doing things in line with the teaching of David. He said, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now, by the way, Jesus did not eat the wheat that they crushed or the barley. Only the disciples did this. But in this case, we find that David actually did eat this. Now, David was at this point in a life or death situation. He was running for his life from Saul. But Jesus was also in a life and death situation uh, saving the world. So similar, uh, and the devil was trying to kill him and destroy him. Now, how he went into the house of God and David took and ate the showbread. These were the, the bread that was only for the priests that was laid out uh, before the presence of the Lord uh, in the temple. And he also gave it to those that were with him. Now, at this time, it was an accepted principle. Everybody that, 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 that studied, you know, Judaism understood that doing good in a life or death situation always superseded the general law. It would be like us in this country. How many know it's not right to jaywalk? You shouldn't jaywalk. Okay, no one will admit it, but uh, <laughs> it's illegal to jaywalk. But if you saw a child in the middle of a busy street, anyone, any good person would break the law in order to save the child. And that was just a truth in Judaism that, that there were higher laws, and sometimes you had to break lower laws in order to fulfill the what? Higher laws. So he took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those who were with him, which it is not lawful for any priest to eat. The, the point was, if, if King David could be praised for doing this unlawful but correct act, how much more the Messiah himself and his disciples? The problem was they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They refused to recognize the master's authority. And then in verse 5, Jesus is about to say something really big. He said to them, the son of man is not just a king. He's not just a political... No, 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 no. He said, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus here is claiming greater authority than, than, than David or any king himself. 
He was saying he who created the seventh day is greater than any rabbi or any council that, that, that will give regulations about the particular day. Jesus could not have said what he said here any stronger. He was saying, I mean, he was totally shifting the paradigm. He was saying, listen, I am the final authority on Scripture and no longer the Pharisees. And you could imagine what he was doing by, by, by exerting this type of authority. He was actually pushing them out of their seat. So they fought him tooth and nail. But if Jesus submitted to them, they would have been his Lord. But since he was Lord, they had to submit to him. Jesus wasn't just trying to be difficult. He's God taking on flesh. And if he was really God, he needed to act and, and, and speak and, and, and do things that only God could do. Does that make sense? Now, it happened on what? Another Sabbath also. Here we go again. The Shabbat or, or, or the Sabbath was the most significant ritual observance in all of Judaism. And Jesus was actually telling the establishment that they got it wrong. You see, Jesus would not allow any gray area when it came to his identity. He was either Lord of all or Lord not at all. And in our lives, he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. He accepts no middle ground. Choose you this day who you will serve, whether it be God or whether it be man. Jesus made the choice. He recognized who he was, the son of the living God, the Messiah promised to the world. And he stood in his authority. Though hundreds resisted, the whole movements uh, fought against him, criticized him. He stood up and said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. Only if Jesus was God taking on flesh ought he have spoke that way. He was either a lunatic or a liar. But he couldn't have been a good man to make such claims and those claims not be true. Do you understand what I was saying? It says, and he entered the synagogue and taught, which was his favorite thing. Just as a baby has to be delivered head first, God's people must be delivered head first. When our minds change, the rest will follow. So he's teaching. He's getting into their heads. He's, he's laying it out line by line by line. And a man was there. See, it was one thing for him to say that he was Lord, but it was another thing for him to do what only God could do. You know, I like this synagogue because they weren't like some churches where they don't let perfect people in. You got to be a certain way, got to look a certain way, got to act a certain way. But this synagogue let everybody in. And because of that, the right person, just the person Jesus needed to prove his identity was present. And God did what he was about to do. It says, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. This may seem like an ordinary malady to you, no, no big deal, you know, like a club foot or, or what have you. But in the Middle East, as well as in many African countries today, it is an absolute insult to touch anyone with your left hand. But all this man had was his left hand. In Judaism, actually, the devil was left-handed. I mean, in, in Islam, the devil's left-handed. The left hand was always, always represented dishonor. Jesus is seated where? At the right hand 
of God the Father. Why is that? Because the right hand is a place of honor. It said a man was there whose right hand was withered. The only part of him that was functional was the left and unclean hand. The right part of him was weak. The right part of him was withered. How many of you have some situations in your life where it seems like the, the, it's only the unclean part of you that seems to have strength? It's only the unclean part of you that, 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 that wants to grab things. At but but it's somehow the righteous part of you, the right part of you is somehow weak and shriveled. And, and many people come to church just like this man. He could not touch a person without being looked at with absolute disgust. You see, toilet paper, forgive me, <laughs> was invented around 580-something A.D. in China. But in most of the world, it was a luxury people couldn't afford. And it was always the left hand that did the tidying up. Stay with me. This man could only use his left hand. And in their culture, they shared meals. You didn't have a plate. I had a plate. It wasn't like that. It's a little bit more like my wife's country. And those that went to the women's fellowship, you, you notice that you share a plate. Everyone goes into the same plate to take the food. So this man ate alone. This man probably had to live alone. This man could not even touch those he loved. And we read the text like, well, he just had a trip. No, 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 no. This, everything he touched, he ruined. And people looked at him with absolute disgust. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. They're circling like vultures here. But Jesus was not ashamed of his amazing grace. And they watched whether he would heal on the Sabbath. See, healing in their denomination could only happen in the hospital, certainly not in church, and certainly not on certain days. That they might find an accusation against him. You know, it's absolutely exhausting being around people that are always trying to find fault with y'all. Have you ever been around folk like that? But, you know, when people come looking for fault, invariably they find fault. And I, I've actually made peace with this because I'm like, if they could find fault with Jesus, you know I have no hope. Y'all going to find some fault with me. But verse 8 says, and just like the first service, I'm finishing this thing quicker than I planned. It says, he knew their thoughts. But what's amazing about Jesus is he remained unintimidated. He still did what he planned to do next anyway. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Amen. And if you went into the Derek Greer lexicon, it'd be said like this. It'd be said, can't nobody ride your back unless you let them. Okay. You got to bend over, but the moment you stand up, you hear what I'm saying, can't nobody. Yes. And that's why you got to stand up in yourself and be who you are. Yes. And Jesus stood up. And he was who he was, and he would not flinch or blink for anyone. He was that type of guy. 
And in spite of what they were thinking, and, and he knew what they were planning, and he knew the conclusions they'd come to, he said to the man with the withered hand, arise and stand here. One translation says, come close. He called the man to the center stage because this man's weakness was about to become his witness. He was about to turn this man's problem into God's proof. Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? He was about to turn his shortcoming into a sign. So those of you that have come here today with some issues, those of you that come today with, 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 with left-handed, everything you seem to touch is ruined, and, and there's some things in your life you're not proud of, some things that aren't strong, some things that are weak in you. There was this girl in, in college. I wanted to talk to her. This is before, you know. And it is true. I wanted to talk to just about everybody. But I wanted to talk to her. And I asked my buddy, I said, hey, what's up with her over there? Because every time I saw her, she had this sweater wrapped over her arm. I mean, she'd walk in the yard and she'd have a, it'd be, I mean, 90 degrees. She got a sweater wrapped over her arm. I said, well, what's with the sweater? And he said, she has a thing with her hand. And she would carry extra stuff every day. So nobody could see what was withered in her life. And many of us are carrying extra stuff. And we're hotter, we're, we're more encumbered, extra makeup trying to hide what has withered in our lives. Because we want to fit in, we want to be like everybody else, but there's something that makes us a little bit different. So, so we hide, we wrap. So nobody can see. But Jesus saw that man. He said, I need you to come center stage. If you're willing to come clean, if you're willing to bring it out in the open, if you're willing to stop hiding, I'll fix it. And the man arose and stood. I need you to do something. Would you just humor me for a moment? And in a moment, I'm going to need more than humor. I'm going to need some faith. But would you just, he told that man to stand. Would you just stand in this room? Just stand, just stand. And it'll just be a few moments. I'm ending quicker than ever today. And I want you to go like this. Just like this. Now, in this hand, I want you to imagine everything that's withered, everything that makes you do unclean things, everything that causes you to ruin stuff. Everything that you're ashamed of, I want you to tuck it away right now in this right hand. The man came up to G in front of everybody, and he arose and stood, and everybody could see. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy life. Jesus was saying what I outlined earlier, to neglect doing good was the same as doing evil. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the Lord's day. We call it in America. This is the America Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. If he's the same God, it would be evil for God to see what's wrong with you 
and not do anything about it. To see you in the middle of somebody's street with a car coming and just let you die. All of us got something in our hand right here. Everybody. And God wants you to, he wants to talk to the hand right now. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.